All right, feel free to grab a seat. Good work, everybody, getting to know someone. I know that's a little tricky, a little hard. But now you have new friends, hopefully. Encourage you to continue those conversations after. My name is Drew. I'm the pastor here at uh, Hope Community Church right here in Columbia Heights, Minnesota. Uh, I'm really happy to be here with you today. I, um, I'm not a great delivery person, uh, not because I'm crashy, although I would. That's a great term. Uh, it makes me a little nervous. Uh, but because I, it often doesn't get there because I get stuck with the first person uh, I'd probably end up like having lunch with whoever the first stop was <laughs> and hanging out with them. Uh, if you know me, <laughs> that happens. Um, but, I, but I have been asked to be a delivery person a few times, which I'm gonna share with you in a minute. First, I wanna share something though, uh, just so you know a little bit of what's happening here um, uh, at church. So we're having uh, these picnics. Last summer, we did VBS um, for a whole week. Uh, for I think it was a three-ish hours at night. I mean, it was really tough, I know, for a lot of families. It was tough having it later. It was tough having it every night. Uh, And so we thought, and and from that, we got some feedback and people said, maybe if we did it like once a week or try just different times, the the goal of it, right, is to be together, maybe cook out, get get some opportunities for the kids to have fun together, um, playing games, uh, having some Bible adventures, doing a craft, those kind of things. And so we're gonna try it a different way to see how it works. And part of it is because we're partnering with a ministry that's called Apex. Apex is a missions uh, division of the Free Church, Evangelical Free Church that we work and that we're a part of. Um, and they specifically work with college students and high school students, and they're sending some students to the Twin Cities. And they ask, could we do some things with you? Um, we'd like our students to get to know a church and even partner with them to like join them in their mission. And so they've asked if they join us. And so those weeks, we will also, you may notice on Sunday mornings, there'll be a extra group of people who are in high school who are probably maybe looking a little nervous or (laughs) uh, unknown to us that we get to know. And they're gonna be around those weeks doing a few things. So not only are they gonna come actually and hang out and run around with kids at the park uh, and get to know us at our picnic, they also that week are going to partner with some of our partners. So we recommended them. We said, hey, you should work with Seika, the food shelf in town that we love to work with. And, uh, and you're going to hopefully get to work with our schools even and doing some projects with the schools. They're going to get opportunities to pray for our city, um, as well as Sadie's going to take them on a little adventure to the, uh, to the Carmel Somali Mall. And they're going to learn about some other um, cross-cultural opportunities in our city as well, which we're really excited about. And I share that because we're excited they're coming. If you want to start praying for these groups each week, a different group of high schoolers is going to come, which is a scary thing for them. And we're praying God would use those weeks um, as they, um, we get to work with them and other ministries. Also though, I share that because some of these will be opportunities for all of us. And so the, the, the nights we go to Seca to volunteer, we could do that with them. And we'd love for some of you to come. So if you're thinking, I'd love to maybe uh, learn a little more about some of these things, partners that we partner with, or I'd love to have an opportunity for my family or maybe my small group together to serve. There'll be some opportunities coming up. We're just figuring out when those will be and how they'll work. But um, I wanted to put that on your radar so you can start thinking in June and July, there'll be some opportunities as a church to come and um, participate in those, which I'm really excited about. I think it'll be a a great chance for us all to serve together. Um, Yeah, so just want you to be aware of that. Excited for these picnics. Kordiak Park is officially booked and it's all ours. Um, And whoever else shows up, I guess, at the park. But uh, anyway, we're excited for that. I uh, did have an opportunity for uh, a few years of my life I, uh, I worked uh, alongside a good friend and our wives would, uh, were getting into coupon clipping and they would give us coops 
and we were supposed to deliver them to the other person's family. Um, and so what would happen is Kelly would give me like a Ziploc bag full of coupons. She'd say, hey, I know their family would, would use these things. Uh, here, here you go. And then they'll probably exchange one with you. And we're trying to help each other find you know, the right coupons to get the best deals. And so I would get this Ziploc bag and I'd put it in my backpack. And that backpack would go with me to work. And then I was supposed to pull those out <laughs> and exchange them with this other husband. And then he was supposed to put them in his backpack and then take them all the way to his house and give him his wife, which there's too many stops along that way. Uh, there's definitely like a bottleneck there, which was him and I. And um, <laughs> there was a week I remember sitting in his office and uh, I was looking for something in my backpack and I was like, oh, what are these? And I f- pulled out multiple Ziploc bags of coupons. I said, oh, I think these are for your family. And he was like, I got some of those too. And he pulled out multiple bags and they were all expired at this point. <laughs> Uh, we thought maybe we still can get some credit for these. Uh, we brought them home and our wives learned uh, you're terrible couriers. We're going to stop exchanging uh, coupons through our husbands. I don't know if any of them ever made it actually. Um, the goal was right that I could take something and bring it to, that's really not that hard. I should have been able to do this, but I could not. I would just forget. And so I'm sure many thousands of dollars was lost in coupon <laughs> deals for us. Uh, this being, this being like an, uh, a delivery person or a messenger is something we're going to look at today as we continue in the study of the book of Romans. Um, it's, it's hard to, to be, maybe depending on who you are, maybe depending on what the item is, maybe you've had the opportunity to be given something that you have to take to someone else, maybe just information. That one's really hard, right? If you played the telephone game as a kid, that's very real. Right, someone gives you information, then you have to tell someone else that information. It doesn't necessarily get translated exactly how it should. I think even sometimes just communicating a message to one person, if it's just like to my wife or to a friend or just through a text, even right, it doesn't get transmitted exactly like I'd hope that that uh, news or that message doesn't get translated the way it ho- uh, we hoped it would. And so today we're gonna. That's a little bit of what we're gonna be looking at today as we look into Romans and continue to look at uh, what Paul here has written this letter in Romans to this church, what he's trying to communicate to them. Uh, and so we're going to see how, how well of messengers are we. Maybe what does it look like to actually be a messenger? Uh, maybe even some of our own frustration with hearing a, a message from people who are, say they're faithful followers of Jesus or say they're, they're followers of God. Maybe it's been frustrating even to hear a message from a person. Why would that be? So we're gonna look a little bit today at that. Just a recap quick in Romans. We are in Romans. We're just starting Romans 3 today. We've been looking through Romans uh, since the, the, the year started here and we'll continue for a while here. Um, but we've been looking at how Paul has laid out, the person who wrote this letter, he wrote it to this church in Rome and he wants to explain to them some very core, some very important doctrine or how we understand who God is. And so he's been laying out in here, First, just explaining that this really comes through faith. It's us believing in the work of Jesus that saves us, that brings us closer to God, that brings us life, makes us new people. And then he starts by explaining how we have turned away from God and what that looks like, what sin looks like, what it looks like to create, to worship created things and not our creator. And then he turns in chapter two, he says, this is also for you. He's talking to Jewish people now, people who thought uh, just by having the title uh, of a Jewish person by having the title of, uh, of these God's covenant people that just that alone, 
No, no matter whether your faith is in God or not, no matter uh, who you're worshiping, just that alone might rescue. That makes you different or sets you apart. Or just having God, having given you this message, his law, uh, how he wants people to live, just by having that means you're in. Um, and so he's explaining these people, those things are, are things that are true about you. And that's not what actually brings you in relationship with God. That's not actually what brings new life to you. That's not actually brings what satis- doesn't bring satisfaction to your heart. Um, and so he's just explained to them about circumcision at the end of chapter two. And now this very important sacred thing to them, this thing that God gave them to remind them that they're cut off in relationship from him. If they aren't turning to him in worship, if they're not obeying him, uh, this thing actually isn't the thing that saves you. But again, referring all the way back to the beginning of Romans, um, it's his faith. First step is faith and God will change us. And then we become people who become obedient. He says that the Jewish people were called to be lights to a dark world and to bring sight to the blind. And in fact, instead people despised God for their actions. And so we get to this point where uh, people ask a really important question. And Paul now is just writing a letter, right? He's not having a conversation, but he writes in a way where he kind of has a conversation in the text. Uh, he kind of knows maybe from conversations and from being around people, maybe here's your objections or here's the next thing you'd ask. And so he actually asks them in there. So or almost like he's writing a script to say, here's what I think you'd say. And so this is where we are in, in uh, the book of Romans now. He says, okay, so the, the Gentile, the non-Jewish people have turned away from God. And now you're saying us as Jewish people have turned away from God. And so they ask a very understandable question. Then what advantage has the Jew? But does it matter that we're Jewish people, now Jewish uh, ethnically, and we're now followers of Jesus? And so he's gonna talk us through this here. So let's just read this whole passage. I'll read it up here. It's all be on the screen. Otherwise, if you wanna look at your own Bibles, that's great to follow along. This is Romans 3, 1 through 8. This is the text we're gonna tackle here today. Then what advantage has the Jew? If you're saying circumcision doesn't matter, if you're saying uh, us being just chosen as God's people, or what is the value of circumcision? You might think here he's going to say, there's none. But instead he says, much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faith, faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true through everyone, uh, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if, but if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As soon as people slanderously charge us uh, with saying their condemnation is just. Okay, there's a lot going on. We're gonna just walk through this together. We're gonna start first with this first phrase. Uh, understandably, Paul says, maybe you're asking, is there an advantage to being a Jew? It seems like we're all in the same boat here. We've all turned from God. Unless we turn our faith to Jesus, uh, we are walking towards darkness and death. He says, much in every way though. Why? To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Another translation says the words of God or God's word. 
Now we know he's saying, do you not remember? God actually came through you. You're the people God has brought his word, like his actual scripture. Like he's talking about all of the Old Testament. He's talking about the words of prophets that he spoke through. He's talking about these incredible narratives of the story of how God's faithfulness to his people. He's like, no, 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 no. God has brought this great story and his actual words through these people. This, they're, they're very important because he's brought the stories and the words and the history of who God is through you. You have been the messengers. You're very important because I've chosen you to bring this Good news, now these messengers aren't a new thing, right? Culturally, it's been forever. We've had people who have taken information and brought them to other people, whether they're people who literally ran from one town to the next to bring news of the king, uh, people who sometimes uh, announced in the city square uh, or in the middle of the village the important information for the day or from a leader. Maybe they rode horses across the country to bring news. Maybe they drive cool brown trucks across the country or our neighborhoods to bring us things. This is, isn't a foreign concept, right? And this is what God's saying. No, you are important because you have brought uh, a message to people, a message that is the message that we know, this good news we hear in Romans 1 is a message that brings salvation. You're the one who brought the good news that changes people, the news that when people say yes to and believe in brings new life. And so the first thing we learn is that God's people are bringing God's message. This might get a little off, right? If you think of it this way, uh, that they're brought, they're brought, they're made in relationship with God in order to bring a message. And you think, well, some, some of their sin then is that they haven't brought that message. They've run into the town square and said, I have some news for you. And the news is that you should, kind of, you should be like me. See how I live? You should do this. Instead of, hey, I have news that there's a great king who will change your life, who will bring new life to you, who will heal you in the ways you've been looking for healing and bring joy in the way you've been looking for joy. One who has overcome death and sin. Sometimes our news is to run in and say, hey, I have news, you should do what we're doing instead of you should look to the God who has, uh, is, is our good God. First, though, we learn in this, in this passage that God's people are bringing God's message. He says, this, this is why God is brought you here. And so he continues this dialogue, right? With himself, but kind of with, with the people. And the next thing he says, well, what if some were unfaithful? What if some of those messengers were unfaithful? Well, they were, we've learned that. Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? Saying, but what if those messengers came and they weren't faithful messengers themselves? If they brought the message of good news and they said, oh, I don't believe this, but there is a faithful God who doesn't leave his people, no matter what, even as they run from him. He says, no, that doesn't change the faithfulness of God. By no means, let God be true, though everyone a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. So this is this first question, right? That he's guessing people might be asking, okay, well, you say we're, we're, we're important, right? Because of this message we bring. But what if those people who brought the message were unfaithful? Then they're gonna think that God is, Unfaithful. He's like, the faithfulness of God doesn't change because of your unfaithfulness. And he actually quotes uh, Psalm 51, which is a psalm that is given to uh, is David and a psalm that's written when he is rebuked, when he is, uh, his friend Nathan comes to him and he says, hey, 
You're not living the way God has called you to live. You're not living the way God created you to be. You're not being the messenger that God has brought us to be. This is after David has been a man, a king in power who had a, a man killed so that David could be with his wife, which is the thing you should rebuke your friend for if that happens. Um, he says, hey, this isn't okay. And David here, his heart changes. He says, you're, you're right. I haven't been in this incredible Psalm is this outpouring of him asking God for mercy in his sin. And so we hear this passage. Is there any, any benefit to being a Jew? Well, yeah, because you were given this incredible news to bring. And even when you don't do it, God is still faithful. And in this, he then quotes a Psalm where David is saying, I have been unfaithful. And God, you have been faithful. This is a, he's quoting here just the end of four, but this is some of the Psalm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, my sins. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He's saying, I am a sinner and God, you are still faithful and right and you still have the right <laughs> to judge me. I have sinned. I'm, I'm not gonna say, oh, but like, did you see her or it's okay? Or I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna say, yeah, I've done this. I've done this. And even as I have been unfaithful, God, you are still faithful and true and good. And you have, and you have to be a good judge who still says, hey, David, that was wrong. And so there still is, as we've read earlier in Romans, there still is wrath. There still is payment coming towards David. And he's saying, God, I need your mercy. I deserve death for this. And I need your mercy. And so secondly, we learn that God is faithful even when his people are unfaithful. Now he continues this same discussion here as he continues talking about this God who is judging, this right, this right judge. And so Paul kind of continues this little dialogue that he's writing himself, imagining he's sitting in front of the people in Rome in the church. But if our unrighteousness then serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human, human way, by no means for then how could God judge the world? So he's continuing this discussion. He's saying, hey, but this, so is God like bringing us in the world because he knows we're, we, we're gonna mess up because then it makes him look really good? Is God the kind of God who is like, hey, I'll, I'll bring these like mess ups, these screw ups, they're gonna mess up and then I get to come in and save the day. And then it's like, what kind of God is that? Is that okay? It, can he judge us on that? It, it makes me think of... Um, when I worked at camp, we often would, uh, at the end, we'd challenge the kids, like the end of the week, if everyone did great, they'd get to play us in kickball. But it really was secretly like just a way to like boost their own <laughs> uh, confidence. Because <laughs> if you play like third graders in kickball, you destroy them. <laughs> uh, so we <laughs> loved it. It's just like uh, kind of terrible college kid thing where we're like, oh yeah, we'd love to play kickball with you. And then we'd just I think maybe they thought we were gonna let them win and we just, it'd be like 25 to zero and they'd be sad. And we're like, we're the best. And they're like, go oh, everybody and pray tonight. <laughs> um, I actually was looking up, I was trying to look up a picture. I, 
I, uh, I've been excited to like learn a little bit of all this exciting new AI stuff. So if you've seen this, you can go on websites and just type in something and they'll give you an image. I was like, this could save me so many uh, hours of, of making cool sermon illustrations. <laughs> and so I went and I typed in adults playing kids in kickball. This is what I got. This is not what it is supposed to be. I, these kids have soccer cleats on. They're also not human people, you can see. This kid, I think, is playing baseball with a volleyball. I don't know. It's also a child's head in a human body. I just had to share this because it's unreal. This is, we got a little ways to go. On the, uh, but there's this part. There's this part. They're asking us questions. So then, okay, so then God creates people and then we're unfaithful. Uh, and so then he gets, to, he gets to just be awesome. That seems like a almost manipulative. Is, that, is he even right now? Is he righteous? Is he holy? Is he pure? Is he good? Well, that's, that wasn't God's intent, right? And so again, Paul is reminding them, yeah, you might go down that road. You might say, well, but, but is God, can God be faithful if we're unfaithful? Yes, he can. And is, God, is it okay that he's doing this? Is he kind of manipulating? Is he some God up on his throne? And he's like, oh, this will be so fun to, to manipulate these people this way. And you say, no, God is a righteous judge of unrighteous people. You are not righteous people. You have turned from God and God can judge us for that. He can, we do deserve death for that. And that's actually what's right. And if he didn't do that, he wouldn't be righteous. Can you feel like even some of the sense of like, okay, but, okay, but there's gotta be some way maybe around that. And he gets to the point um, where they ask a question that uh, feels Silly at first, and then if I think about it, it is very common in my head to go to this place. They say, okay, but if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory. So if me lying, if me being unfaithful makes God look better, he gets more glory, why am I still, be con- being, still being condemned as a sinner? It seems like I'm doing just what God wants, and the more I sin, the more God gets glory, which seems like a great system. I'll keep sinning and God will keep getting glory. And, and why not do evil then that good may come? So I should, I mean, maybe God should even be thanking me because my badness makes him look so much better, right? You get to this point where you almost go, okay, I, I don't know how else to kind of twist this or spin this, but maybe like, yeah, I'm actually helping God out by doing this. Paul shuts that one down as some people slanderously charge us with saying. He actually is saying this might be something that people are saying. He, he might have actually heard this in their community. They might have said, all oh, those Christians, they believe that like they're, they accept, they actually confess that they're sinners, which makes their God look good. And so they're, so they're actually helping their God out. They have a twist on what the gospel actually is. Now this I think is a really interesting uh, argument. I think this is really uh, wise of Paul to say, hey, this is a way we go, right? This is a place that we go to as we maybe try to justify our own sin or say, yeah, but, I, I, and we go to a place where we say, well, there has to be bad if there's gonna be good. And I wanted to stop here because I think this is really important. This is a, uh, an idea, a philosophy that's very prevalent in, in our world and always has kind of been in our world. And actually it's interesting because I just was talking to my daughter about this and we were watching Loki and in Loki, there's a discussion about this, that if it weren't for Loki, then like the Avengers wouldn't have anything to do. <laughs> Loki is uh, kind of the God of chaos and he brings bad things and chaos to 
the world. And so because of him, then the Avengers have something to do. Uh, and so there's this idea here of like, there's this bad, right? Which allows the good. And there's this balance, which is actually a very, very old idea uh, that has been around kind of forever. Um, it's tied to the same idea of the yin-yang. If you lived like in the 80s and 90s, I had a lot of friends who turned 18 and got tattoos of this on them. That and barbed wire was like the cool thing to get tattoos of. Um, maybe not even knowing what it meant. It's the idea of dualism. So this is actually prominent in lots of world religions. And I think it also has creeped in often into Christian worldview. It's this idea that you have to have bad and good fighting. And there has to almost be a balance. There's almost an acceptance of like, there has to be a lot of evil in order to have a lot of good. And that's kind of the eternal battle that we get to see. And if those are in balance, then everything else kind of is in balance. It's a way to explain maybe suffering. I, I'm going to suffer this much because I know then good must be coming or I've experienced lots of good. And so then uh, maybe suffering is coming. It's this ultimate balance. And it has, it has very much come into the Christian view. Have you ever seen this old painting? There's lots of versions of this where Jesus and Satan are like, they're arm wrestling here. Apparently that's what they do. Um, they're battling and there's this like this same connection here, right? This sweet Jesus. This is, I call this Kenny Loggins Jesus. I don't know if anyone knows Kenny Loggins. Very much, probably not what Jesus looks like, but look at how perfect his beard is. I can't get over this. It's like the greatest. Um, so Kenny Loggins Jesus is in this eternal fight uh, with Satan. And we, I think we can start thinking this, which is a problem because it's not the gospel. This idea that uh, okay, well, I need bad, good. And I think that's where Paul goes in his argument. He's like, let's be careful here, friends. Because if, we if we're not careful, we're gonna start going, well, God needs us broken, sinful people. Or what would he do all day? He wouldn't have all this mess to clean up. He wouldn't have those people to fix. And so I'm talking to my daughter, Zoe. She's 14. And we had one of these moments where the Holy Spirit reminds me that even someone who's 14 uh, can be used. <laughs> and um, my kid can be used. And she says this to me. This is uh, like on Tuesday, we're talking about this, Wednesday over breakfast. And I say, do you, do you ever feel this? And she says, yeah, it seems like they forget peace is even an option. And she says, sometimes I feel like I can't even fathom that there could just be peace. And I went, huh. And then for like two days, it's like I kept, I kept seeing her say those words. I thought, I'd, it's not even on my radar that there could just be good, that there could just be no pain, that there could just be right and faithfulness and love and joy and, and not the other, right? We live in a place where we, we do experience the Loki, right? We do experience the darkness and we do experience the pain. And so we, we, we have to kind of figure out a way to live in that and, and say, well, there also is good. And there must be like a balance of those forgetting that actually there once was a time where there wasn't the darkness and sin and death. And there actually will be a time where there won't be again. And I think we start thinking that way. We see it creep into even our way of self-justifying. We go, well, maybe we're the ones that are helping keep it all in balance instead of just mourning our own sin and turning from God. And we know that there is a time where peace will be the only option. We know there's a time in Revelation, I think this is so important as Paul is talking to these people and as we remember, there actually is a time, there actually is an option where we could say we are broken and we need a good God 
And, and we can look to a time where there will not be darkness and pain. And we see that in Revelation. We often go here uh, at Hope because it's so important for us to keep our vision to that place where there actually is a time of goodness and just goodness. This is in Revelation 20, Revelation, a book that explains what it will be like one day as Jesus returns and makes things right. I just want you to kind of have a picture of a little bit of this. So we're picturing this and not picturing some cycle of good and bad, but actually uh, Jesus coming to take away sin and death and make all things good. Now listen to how uh, he talks even about the devil here. It's a little different than an arm wrestling match where we hope Jesus wins. It's much different. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison. So before this, we hear about Jesus coming and actually them putting Satan in prison uh, for, it says a thousand years, and he will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners there. So they release Satan. He goes to deceive the nations. That's what he does. Gog and Magog and to gather them for battle. In number there like the sand on the seashore. So Satan gathers all these people for battle. Here it goes. Here's the giant, here comes the big arm wrestling match, right? Kenny Loggins, Jesus, and, and Satan are coming together. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. So these, they, they surround him. We're going to get ready for battle where I'd expect like a battle like, like Lord of the Rings. It's going to be this long, epic thing. And I hope God's people can, can withstand it. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. It's not even like a one arm wrestling match. Just done. Just, they're done. And the devil who deceived them was thrown in the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There is no real battle here. They show up and they're, do they're done. The power of God takes out evil and death and Satan. It's, it's much like a college student playing a second grader in kickball. There's <laughs> not really a battle there, right? And then it goes on. Then I saw a great white throne on him who was seated, seated on it. So picture this throne and Jesus is seated, seated there. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. There's books open, another book is open. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what they had done. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. So again, we hear Satan, his power is nothing to God. Thrown into the lake of fire, right? This picture of being tossed away away, out of the presence of God, not into the city, not into God's dwelling place with his people, not into his family. And then we see death being thrown out of God's family. It's no longer a thing. And as Revelation goes on, we hear that there is no longer tears or death or pain. There is no more good and evil balance. There is just good. This is the picture we have of Jesus, right? He jukes, he breaks his ankle. <laughs> he destroys Satan. He's victorious over him. There is no battle here. There's no long drawn out thing. I think this is the picture I often get of Jesus. And then I start fearing life. I start fearing uh, what's even next. I, I, start, I start worrying what you should worry. If you think Jesus and Satan are in an eternal battle and we hope Jesus wins, you should be scared. But we know it's not true. We know that the picture of this is beautiful. 
It's a, it's a picture of our king who doesn't even stand up to take care of the thing that we cannot even touch. The thing that we have tried for generations to end, death and sin and brokenness, injustice, hurt. The thing we try, everything we do, we try to end these things and our God doesn't even have to stand up. Just on his throne, the snap of his finger, they're gone because of the great work he does on the cross. That's really good news. That's where the messengers kind of forgot the message, right? It's not, it's not about, hey, but thankfully we're bad. And so God looks, couldn't know, just stop. The God who is so good has rescued you from death. And today we can celebrate that good news. So what does that look like? Lastly, we learn this message is about God and not us. I think this whole passage reminds us of something that happens often we want the message to be about us. We want to be the faithful ones or at least not be called out as the faithless ones. I want to twist and, and spin the story so that somehow I'm a lot more involved in it, a lot more part of the good part of it. I like saying my yeah, buts. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but the, I know, I know, I know. I turn, yeah, and, and I think we think if I can find a way in that, whether justifying in my head or my heart or actually out loud, if I can find, yeah, but, but God seems like mean or, but, but yeah, I, I didn't really mean that or, but my bad makes God look good. All those we think are gonna bring life are gonna bring vision to the blind and light to the darkness. And in fact, those do not. We wanna keep saying, yeah, but though. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, <laughs> I interrupt. I think Paul here is going, take a breath. There is life. There is goodness. I think Jesus says it really well in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How much of my weariness, my burden is me saying, yeah, but. How much of it is me trying to do the work that God has already Done. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yeah buts are to find rest for my soul. If I can justify myself, if I can say, I'm okay, I got this, and I think it's going to bring rest, and it does not bring rest, and in fact, it brings more weary and more burden, and I find myself uh, tired. Jesus knows that and he comes and he says, take a breath, it's okay. I'm gonna do the work. I'm gonna go to a cross and I'm gonna die the penalty that you deserved. You will be judged for your sins and now I'm gonna step in the way and I will be judged for those sins and I will die. And I will raise from the dead defeating death and I will go sit on my throne and one day I'm gonna come back and Satan will no longer be. In a moment, he's gonna gather his armies thinking there's a great battle to be won and he doesn't realize in a second, fire will come down and he will be gone. And death will come and I will say, you too, you're gone, no more. Take a breath, rest. It's okay, it's okay. I think as we end here, I'm gonna invite our worship team up. Um, I want you to hear the words of David later in this psalm. I think you say, so what do I do now? I think this is a prayer for us to pray. And so what now? This is what now. 
David says these words. Maybe you've heard these words. It's a passage that's often uh, quoted or written on walls or <laughs> things. Uh, here's from Psalm 51. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David says, God, I'll do better next time. I promise. No, he says, God, I need you to clean out my heart. I need you to give me a new right spirit. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. God, I need you with me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. God, I need you to come in. First, the, the first step here is to confess and say, I need you, Lord, to make me clean, to make me right, to make me faithful, to change me. I need you with me. I need you to restore that joy that comes from knowing I am rescued, I am saved, the joy that changes me and makes me new. Instead of yeah, buts, we get an opportunity to say, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Be my prayer for us that we be people who first do that and from there God would change us and renew us and we be people who would become faithful, who would be faithful messengers, who would come and share the good news that there's a really good God who cleans hearts and doesn't leave his people. As we continue worshiping here, I wanna encourage us with a few things to consider. Uh, we're gonna take some time here to sing and take communion and pray and just respond. Here's a few things to think about. Do you know there's good news? A God who is faithful to the unfaithful. We can say we're unfaithful. I'm unfaithful, God. I don't have to find a way around that. I am and I need you. When do you try to justify your sin? How does that sound? What words do you use? Um, who brings you to the words of God in your life? Who brings you to that good message of that good news? And who needs the rest that comes from our gentle and humble Savior? This week, you're going to know, you know someone. Maybe right now, you know someone. Take an opportunity even now as we worship to pray for that person who needs rest. Um, let me pray for us here. But first, just so you know, there's opportunity to take communion. That's an opportunity to remember the, uh, the day that Jesus body was broken and his blood was shed. He calls us to do this. If you're a follower of his um, here at Hope, you don't need to be a member here at Hope. We just ask you're a follower of Jesus so that it means something to you. But out in the hallway, we have uh, an opportunity to take communion and pray. We also have people who are willing in the back of the room to pray for you. If you just need prayer for anything, they would love to pray for you. They'll be standing in the back with a name tag on. Um, uh, an opportunity just to pray yourself. And we're also going to sing. Our worship team will lead us in singing. Um, Let's do that now. Let me pray as we start this opportunity to, to respond. Lord, you are faithful to us. You are righteous and good. You're so good that you would send your son Jesus to come and stand in our place so that we would not take on the punishment for our unfaithfulness, our unrighteousness. God, I pray we could find rest in the incredible opportunity we have to just confess, be sinners and say, yes, Lord, I am. And Lord, I pray we would ask that you would clean our hearts, that you'd restore us, that we would turn our faith to you and you could do that in us and make us new. And that we would find rest and that I pray for great rest now as we worship you and sing to you as we take communion. Thank you for these people in this time to do this. Pray this in your good name. Amen.